0: Hey, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. My name is Jim, and uh, I get to hang out here during the week. And so uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, This morning, we are ending our journey through the book of James, in James chapter 4 and James chapter 5. And I'm going to begin by reading a few verses out of James 4. You can see the words on the screen and follow along with me this morning. It says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you don't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. There are two worlds that we're continually wrestling with In this life, one of them we're trying to avoid at all costs, the other one we're trying to get to as quickly as possible. What am I talking about this morning? The world of pain. We're trying to avoid that world at all costs. Take me away from that. The world of pleasure, we're trying to move into that place, this life of comfort and convenience as quickly as possible. These two worlds often drive many of our actions. They motivate our daily decisions when we're processing life. How do I avoid pain? How do I get to pleasure as quickly as possible? From the mundane decisions to the life-altering decisions that we make. In fact, science gives us this beautiful snapshot into these two worlds. Pleasurable experiences trigger this release of these neurotransmitters inside of our brain, and chemicals are released of dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins, and it creates these feelings of happiness and reward. We all love that. We crave that. We want more of that. Pain and discomfort on the other side activate the brain's stress response, and it releases this other thing called cortisol. And we try to avoid that at all costs. It motivates us to avoid most and all harmful situations in our life. You see, the avoidance of pain also encourages us to steer clear of conflicts or situations that would bring harm to our relationships and our life. In our modern world, the pursuit of pleasure often translates into seeking comfort and convenience. Now, I want you to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to be real honest with me today. How many of you, you just love working out? Like, like it just, it's your thing. It energizes you. Yeah, there's three of you. <laughs> Same number as last service. I, 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 I am not one of you. They're, they're gathered over here for some reason today. I don't know what the, <laughs> this is the healthy side of the room. I am not one of those people. I loathe working out. Loathe it. It's painful. I've always loathed it, even since high school. I'm like, why do we have to do this? It's painful. I don't enjoy it. And here's what I learned about Jim is if, if I'm in charge, if I'm left up to me, I'm gonna jump off the wagon as, as quickly as I get on. Like I'm gonna go a couple times and be like, oh, that was cute. I, I'm, I'm done. Let, let me go find some snacks at home. Let's do this. But here's what I know that I have to do is I have to surround myself with the right people who know that they're committed to this process of getting healthy. And I know that when I show up to the gym, they're going to be there. They're going to be consistent. Why? Because if they don't show up, guess what? I'm probably not going to show up. And so we've made this commitment to grow together and to push each other to be better in this area of life. You see, we continually desire quick fixes to most of our pain-filled situations in life. It's just normal. It's who we are. We enjoy the easy path, the path of pleasure. This is what our world pulls at us all day long. All the social media and the marketing is find the easy path. Find the path of least resistance. Find the path of pleasure. You see, James 4 opens with this beautiful question. It says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? He dives in deeper. He says, it's the desires and passions. And James begins to unpack this fundamental issue of unfulfilled desires and unchecked passions in our lives. He asserts that these desires can lead individuals to covet, to envy, and even resort to violence that satisfy their wants. You see, this self-centeredness was a major source of discord within the church of that day. He goes on, he says, prayer without righteousness, and James begins to critique these ineffective prayers of those in conflict, highlighting the importance of this, of praying with the right motives, with a heart of righteousness. You see, when we pray, when our prayers are driven driven by selfish desires, they go unanswered. Deepening the spiritual divide in our lives. He goes on, he dives in, he says, this friendship with the world. And James warns us against adopting the values and priorities of the world. When we, as followers of Jesus, Christians, align ourselves too closely with worldly ambitions, we risk distancing ourselves from God and his teachings. You see, the same desires and passions and pride that led to quarrels and fighting in the early church still afflict us today. It's the same things that we're working through. The enemy, Satan, he absolutely loves this space. This is where he does his best work. He loves this space. Why? Because if he can get you to focus on quarreling and fighting, he knows that he has you. He knows that this is the ticket and you're not gonna have the energy or the mental capacity to fight the real battle that's going on in the world. You see, friendship with the world comes from the sinful desires of the flesh. We naturally desire selfish gain. We naturally desire pleasure in the world and that which we think is best for us. And here's what happens. When you gather all these people together, who are focused on the wrong things and the wrong motives, you put them together in this beautiful space of the church, it can become explosive and downright mean. Many of you have experienced that before. This is what is happening in the book of James. All this conflict comes from these desires down deep within the people. And they're motivated by these desires for earthly pleasures. And James pauses. Here, and he gives the church a great reminder of why they've gotten to the place that they've gotten. And he says this, you're not going to God in prayer. You've forgotten that peace. In fact, you're only going to him in order to get more of the world and for yourself. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he gives us this beautiful method, a different way of approaching prayer that we find in the book of Matthew. He says, our father, your name be honored as holy. We are here to seek what is best for the sake of God's name, that's it. We want his will, not our will to be done. Friendship with the world says my will be done. (laughs) My name be great. But James is helping the church discover that their hostility towards one another is actually evidence of their hostility towards God. And we have this difficult question that we often wrestle with is this, is why is it so hard to ask for things from God? Have have you ever been there? Why is it so difficult to ask for things from God? You see, one of the most misunderstood things about prayer from our lens is this, is we think that we have to try to clean ourselves up before we come to God. We have to clean our act up. We attempt to be spiritual. We try to get it right. We try to be something that we simply are not. And here's what I love about Jesus and his teachings in the gospels is he's teaching his disciples and he's using this parallel and these examples of children. Let the children come to me unless you turn and become like little children. In Luke 10, he says this, I thank the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. How do little children show up? Loud. Messy. They say what's ever on their mind. They demand their own way. Now, mine. Mine. I, I know I'm just talking about my three boys and my household. But here's what's fascinating about children they are never frozen by their selfishness, never. You see, when we slow down to pray, we're immediately confronted by how unspiritual we are and how difficult it is to pray. Nothing exposes our selfishness and our spiritual powerlessness like prayer. As parents, we don't scold our children for being totally self-absorbed or fearful. We know that's just who they are. It's their nature. No one teaches them to sin. In fact, we're delighted when they share with us what's on their heart. We're like, that, that was cool. Thank you for letting me know. I'm having some incredible conversations right now with my nine-year-old. In James 5, we find the author intensely focused on this idea of prayer. In fact, in six verses, he mentions the word seven times. In James 5, 13, he says this, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. And 14, he goes on, he says, are any of you sh- sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray. Verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He goes on in 16, he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he brings in the story of Elijah that we find in 1 Kings. And he says, Elijah was as human as we are, yet when he prayed, Earnestly for no rain to fall, none fell for three and a half years. Prayer is not just a duty. It's a delight that we get to commune with the living God, our adopted, loving, merciful Father. God wants us to come to Him empty-handed, weary, and heavy-laden. But instinctively, we do the exact opposite. We try to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God, and it stops us. And this morning, I wanna give you some simple, practical things that you can do when you approach God in prayer. The first one is this, is prayer needs to be planned. How many of you in the room are are calendar people? Like like you live by the calendar. How, How many of you are like a digital calendar person? Like, that, that's your space. You're like, everything is scheduled. Like, like I, I say this often in our household, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Like, that's just how we roll. How many of you are paper calendar people? We got paper calendar people. How many of you in the room would be really honest with me and just say, I'm not a calendar person at all? <laughs> Look at those hands. See, there's just freedom in that. Here's the reality. We're all a little jealous and envious of you, we never know if they're gonna show up or not, but that's just how they roll, they're carefree. The calendar doesn't drive. You know, that whatever happens, the day drives. There's no other person on this planet that I love more than my wife, Tabitha Moss, who's sitting over here. I love to spend time with her. In fact, I can't wait till our kids leave and I get to spend even more time with her. You're laughing because you're a parent and you're like, yeah, me too. I love my kids, but here's the deal that I've discovered is I'm not going to get to spend time with her if I don't schedule it, because life happens. School activities take over, sports activities take over, and the list goes on and on and on, and so every November, we actually sit down and we schedule out all the time that we want to be together for the next year. We plan it out, why? Because we wanna be intentional about spending time together. Not only do I plan dates with my life, wife, as I text her and I call her all, all day long. It's amazing, I look back at our text threads, trying to find some information that we've texted one another, and I was like, holy cow, I talked to this person a whole lot. I must really like her. I really like her. The second thing is this, is we have to adopt practical ways to impede mental drift. It's going to be very difficult for you to pray with your phone and all your apps right in front of you and all your reminders going off. I like to pray early in the morning. That's just my space. But here's what I've discovered, even about early in the morning, there's still distractions. I hear the birds chirping I'm like, I should go out inside and see what they're into. I, I, I want to have a conversation with, I, I get distracted. I hear the creaks in the house and I'm like, oh, I should go check that out and see, see what's going on. I hear my boys snoring and I'm like, maybe they need me. <laughs> and I get super distracted even early in the morning. And so here's what I've learned that I've, I've had to do is I actually had to get some noise canceling headphones and put them on even early in the morning. Why? Because it helps shut, shut out all the distraction and I can focus on My time with God. You see, I believe if we're really aware of the spiritual warfare that's happening all around us, the work of the enemy and Satan, it would intensify our desire to pray and pray more often. There would be this hyper focus of prayer is very, very important. The third thing is this, is in different times and in different seasons, seek out people to pray with. We desperately need one another. You need others who you regularly meet with and you hold things before the Lord together. You need that. Here's what I've discovered about me is I'm not naturally going to do hard things on my own. And so I invite people into that space to hold me accountable and say, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to pray during these times. We're going to talk about the scripture that God is, that we're reading. Why? Because I want to surround myself with those people. That way I don't forget or give myself the option to opt out of it altogether. Two Fridays ago, I was up here at the church, and we had multiple contractors here working on the building. And I, I looked out the front glass, and two of the men from City Church were standing out there. And so I went to open the door, and I was like, hey, what's up, guys? And they're like, hey, we wanna know if we could come in and pray. And so I to- of course I told them that they couldn't. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was like, absolutely you can come in here and pray. Are you kidding me? This is what this place is for. But here's what I love about what's happening there is one of those men was holding some big decisions before the Lord, some big things that he was getting ready to make decisions on. And he had invited another man from the church to meet up with him and say, hey, I want you to pray with me about these decisions as we hold them before the Lord. There's something powerful about that. The fourth one is this, is get around people who pray. Isn't that the way that we learn everything else in life? Is get around people who are more established in prayer than you are. If we typically wanna learn something in life, we find somebody who's really good at it or better than us, and we say, hey, can you teach me? Can you train me? The last few years, my son, Liam, has gotten really into basketball. I don't know why, because we're not a basketball family. He loves it. And he's played a couple seasons of basketball. And so we've been talking about it. He's like, Dad, I want to improve my skills. I want to get better. And I'm like, all right, well, let's find you somebody that can help you do that. And so I began to look around, even think about who are the people that we connected here at church. And I realized, hey, we have several people within our church community that played collegiate basketball. And so I asked them, hey, would you like to hang out with my son? And they're just really good disciples of Jesus. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, Perfect. We need to get around people who pray. Be intentional about asking them to pray with you. The fifth thing is this, is develop a system for your prayer list. The Bible tells us to be disciplined in our practices of prayer and reading the scriptures. This may feel rigid to you or stuffy, but it's really important. Joshua 1 says this. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Proverbs 10 says, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. This book is in our bookstore. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, connecting with God in a distracting World. I, I love this book because it's so practical, and here's what I love about Paul, and he talks about his list and his prayer cards. It's not a rigid or stuffy process. In fact, it's actually a quick process if you're not one to spend hours and hours in prayer. You see, prayer lists help us remember who we're praying for and why we're praying for them. The sixth thing is this, is mix praise, confession, and intercession and tie it as much back as you can to scriptures. We need to read the word of God and let it lead us to praise and adoration and intercession. Thessalonians says this, rejoice always and pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians gives us a beautiful reminder of who we are in Christ. Colossians three four says this: Christ is your life. Christ is your life. This is our banner as Christians, as followers of Jesus. He is our life. The last one is this: is pray until you pray. <laughs> Don't try to get prayer right. Just tell God where you are and what's on your mind. That's what little children do. They come to God with whatever questions they have and whatever moment that it is. Have you ever thought about how you structure your adult conversations? That's right, because you don't. (laughs) When you're hanging out with your closest friends, the conversation just flows and it goes from subject from subject to subject and topic to topic to topic. It's a fun, meandering play-like quality. Why would our prayer be any different? You don't show up to your friends, I, I hope you don't at least, with an 18-point checklist when you're hanging out with your closest friends and say, hey, I want us to work through these by the end of the night. <laughs> That's just weird. Don't do that. If you're you're doing that and you're wondering why you don't have any friends, that's it. (laughs) Here's your sign. You see, it's organic, and it flows out of us. We have thoughts and emotions, and we begin this conversation, and the stories just flow out. That's how we should begin with prayer. Schedule it, show up, and allow the conversation to begin and flow. God desperately wants to hear from you. James 5, 16, he says this confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Psalms 32, this is David we find. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. What is going on with David? He's exhausted from the weight of his sin. Why? Because he's been carrying it and he hasn't shared that burden with another brother to pray with him, to hold that before the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was reading about this neuroscientist that teaches at Stanford. His name is David Eagleman. And he said this, I wanna share it with you this morning because it's so powerful. He says, you have competing populations in your brain. One part that wants to tell something and one part that doesn't. There is a real physiological battle going on in the brain. So keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that is seen or understood to be wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and lack of sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful this means that your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream as a result of this stress, as a result of the struggle to keep your secret. Your brain does not enjoy this stress. Those living, duplicitous lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life secret from the people that they see and care about. The fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping the secret over and above the effects of the wrongdoing themselves can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. What is going on there? Science is actually telling you and I, don't live a duplicitous life. (laughs) Confession actually brings about a healthy, stressless life. You're going to be a healthier person if you confess to another woman, if you're a woman, to another man, if you're a man. This is the secular world. I love when these two things collide. This is the secular world telling us as followers of Jesus, the Bible is right. I love that. Science is right. They don't even know that they're saying it. If you find yourself In Psalms 32 this morning, find someone in the church. Hold that before the Lord. God, who is this that can go on this journey with me? See, let us never to be, to pretend who more than who we really are. The very thing that we're often afraid of, our own brokenness is the door to the father's heart. That's it. And the only way, the only way to kill darkness is to drag it into the light. You will not win on your own. It's difficult, but God calls it to us. Why? Because he knows the freedom that will happen inside of you through prayer, through confession. One of my favorite places to go to pray is this place called Clear Creek Abbey. We have a monastery out by Fort Gibson Lake. It's about an hour from Tulsa. And I love to go out there because it's really in the middle of nowhere. And, and I, I'm a naturalist by nature. I connect with God through nature at the deepest level. And so I love to just go out there and walk. I love to attend the prayer services. They have this little quaint bookstore that I love to go in and hang out and they, they just chalk it full with these spiritual fathers, people that have devoted their lives to prayer. And I often buy too many books when I'm out there. I was reading through one of them. And there was this prayer by this man by the name of Francis Posada. And this morning, here's what I want us to do if you're willing to do this with me is, I I want you just to close your eyes right where you are. And I'm gonna read this prayer over you this morning, and I want you to listen to these words. What do I do to you in prayer? Do I not listen to you? Do I not give you delight? Do I not give you light? Do I not give you tenderness? Do I not forgive you? Do I not stir your wills to fervor? Do I not delight your minds? Do I not give sweetness to your souls? Do I not purify your consciousness? Why then do you flee? Why do you not stay in my presence? Yes, stay in my presence, for I am like the flower which gives out more fragrance, the more that it is touched and handled. If you want to breathe my perfumes, stay in my presence. Do not let go of my hand and you will see how you will walk in the ador of these perfumes as spouses do. Pray, for if you are sinful, I will make you good. If lukewarm, I will make you fervent. If you are imperfect, you will find perfection pray, and you will come to know what I am for you. You can open your eyes. Here's what I, I want to ask of you this week. Is you can go to cc.guide. This, this prayer is on there. Maybe it's something that you write down or you take a photo of it. And I want you to sit with this prayer by Francis. And just say, God, what, what, what do you have for me? You will come to know what I am for you as you spend time with him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray this morning that, God, you would just allow the conversation to begin with you. God, that we would be able to remove any pretense in our life. God, anything that is holding us back, this thought of I've got to clean myself up before I come to God in prayer. And God, that we would just come to you like little children. God, that we would say what is on our mind and ask you the real questions that are on our heart. God, we love you. And we honor you. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray and invite other people in to pray with us. God, teach us to confess to one another and hold one another up through prayer. I want you just to sit with this idea of prayer as we prepare to come to the table this morning. I invite you to stand with me this morning. One of the most beautiful things that we do as a church is we gather around the table every week. In fact, we've written a table liturgy that we say together corporately every week, and you'll see the words on the screen. I'm gonna invite you to say them with me this morning. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. In Matthew 26, we find Jesus sitting with the disciples and they're gathered around the table and he takes some bread and he breaks it. He says, take this and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. This represents my body. And he takes the cup, and he lifts it up He says, take this and drink. This is my covenant. This is for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this to remember me. So in a few moments, you're going to come to the table and they're going to give you a piece of bread and you're going to dip it in the juice to remember and reflect the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken communion. We practice open communion at City Church. Everyone is welcome to the table. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I, I, I've never accepted the Lord as my personal Lord and Savior. You can do that simply this morning by believing in Him. And we going to invite you to come and take the bread and the juice this morning. I'm going to invite our prayer and communion team to come and prepare the elements as we pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your body and your blood and your sacrifice, God, of giving up your life just for us. God, to cleanse us, to wash us clean for the forgiveness of our sins. God, that we would never forget that. God, I thank you for a church and a pastor that leads us to this place every single week of reflection and remembrance of why we're here in this life. Christ is our life. God, let us never forget that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. As you come to the table, you come out the right side of your section and come by and receive the elements and come back in the left side of your section this morning.